Welcome to the Institute of Men podcast, where we are figuring out what kind of men we want to be and pursuing that vision relentlessly for the rest of our lives. We derive wisdom from what is ancient, traditional, and from the greatest men in history. My name is Keaton Tucker, and I want to thank you for listening. Today, we are talking about Masterpiece Cake Shop and how to fight. Then we will go into our comment section, and we'll be finishing with today's gospel coming from Luke chapter 10. or you just haven't hit that subscribe button, go ahead and do that now. And if you'd be so kind as to leave a five-star review. And if you want to get into heaven, leave a comment. It's guaranteed entrance into heaven if you leave a comment on your favorite listening app. Thank you for listening to and supporting the Institute of Men podcast. All right, everybody, I hope you are doing well wherever you are listening and at whatever time you are listening. Like I said in the intro, my name is Keaton Tucker. I am the host of the Institute of Men podcast, and I hope you understand. I throw that little get into heaven, leave a comment, get into heaven. I throw that in as a joke. I hope you think it's funny, and if you don't think it's funny and you take it too seriously, well... I'm praying for you that you that you learn to take it uh, as a joke. On this podcast, I do make jokes here and there, and sometimes we talk about something serious. And today, I think we're going to be talking about something a little bit serious. So if I throw in something that's just a random joke at some time, it's because, well, maybe I'm uncomfortable. But I do hope you are doing well. This podcast was started when my fops asked me a question when I was young. I was 23 years old, and he said, son, what kind of man do you want to be? And I didn't know the answer, but that question has helped me, and now I want to pass along that same question on this podcast to everybody who is listening. What kind of man do you want to be? And I hope this podcast is helpful to you, and I hope you find the great men and the traditions as inspiring as I do. We're going to be talking about Jack Phillips and the Masterpiece Cake Shop. We're going to be talking about St. Augustine. We're going to talk about Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And we're going to pull a little bit from Justin Martyr. And Justin Martyr will actually be one of the key figures in this podcast. But before we do that, in case you're wondering, if th- so on this podcast, I put this out. And once a week is what I'm doing right now. I was doing twice a week, but I have scaled that back just a little bit. I'll probably get back up to twice a week. I'm trying to make the podcast better, higher quality podcasts. And in order to do that, I figured I would go one time a week instead of two times a week and try to make them just better podcasts. But I'm also trying to do some other things that make the Institute of Men grow and be more effective and be more beneficial to anybody who listens or wants to engage with the fullness of the Institute of Men. So if that's, if you're interested in getting more involved with the Institute of Men right now, i on on my website, it's instituteofmen.org. It's really, it's a Substack that I, you know, have a domain for. Substack is a writing platform. Imagine like a newsletter and a blog all mixed together, but then it has some chat features. You can go over there and subscribe to that and get exclusive content. And I have some plans in the future to, you know, make some more community oriented things um, that I've seen other podcasters do. So if you would like to be able to talk to me about something like that, if you become a paid subscriber, you'll be able to send me an email with suggestions and feedback and all that kind of stuff. So that's just instituteofmen.org. You can subscribe there. 
like I said, we're going to be um, talking about the Masterpiece Cake Shop. And the reason we are doing this is because last week I recorded an interview podcast with my brother, Dylan. Dylan runs this once a month podcast called Coffee with Dylan, and it covers a wide range of topics. Dylan's very interested in philosophy. He's very, very, very interested in economics. He has this brilliant mind that ties all these things together. And on top of that, he has an incredible memory. He just, you say something once to Dylan and he never forgets it. And in his own words, his podcast description is it's a rambling philosophical journey to understand the social world and human nature and all its complexities. And he's really out to do that himself. And then he just shares what he learns on the podcast. You never really know what Dylan is going to want to talk about or what he's going to bring up at the random time, which is one of the best parts of his show. But it also means it's very easy to get caught in your words and realize you don't know what you're talking about on a certain issue, which is exactly what happened to me. My brother caught me in my words and he brought up something I was not prepared to talk about and I stumbled over my words and I contradicted myself and I confused facts and I should have just said, I don't know, but let me think about it. But I didn't I didn't say that. So Dylan had brought up Jack Phillips in the Masterpiece Cake Shop. That's a famous court case in Lakewood, Colorado. It began in 2012. It finished in 2018. The owner and the creator of the cakes, his name is Jack Phillips, and he was sued back in 2012 by the state of Colorado, and then he won his court case in the Supreme Court, and then he was sued two more times after that, and he remains in court to this day. And I had to write a lot of papers about this case uh, for religious liberty, for the First Amendment, Second Amendment, or for, not Second Amendment, just the First Amendment, the um, Free Exercise Clause and the Freedom of Speech Clause. And I had forgotten a little bit about the details and I start stumbling over this case. And what I end up doing is I end up responding in a way that I wouldn't have responded at a different time. I, I kind of responded in, in fear um, because I'm looking at the nation and I keep talking about to Dylan on this podcast. I'm talking to him about prudence and knowing what's going to raise the temperature of the nation and and what do you do when it, everything's boiling over and I'm, I'm like going this way. This isn't normally what I would say, but Dylan caught me in my words. And the temperature of the nation is unbelievably high and everything feels like a hostile move and tensions feel like they're ever increasing and the use of political force and weaponization seems to be increasing over and over and what really scares me is the willingness of people of both parties and all of culture to just retaliate in order to preserve what they view as either liberty or democracy or human rights or what there's not even shared definitions that people are just reacting and so I'm, I'm looking at this 2023 and being like use prudence fights with prudence like sake of stand in the way conveyed the way I was talking to my brother about this to Dylan it was almost like I was saying shut up and make the cake, which was not at all what I was saying. One of the things I was doing is I was measuring 2023 realities against 2012, but I was also just coming across as, hey, you know what, just shut up and make the cake, but that is not at all what I was trying to say. I believe that there is a proper time to stand up for what you believe. I say it all the time, you need to know what you believe so you can stand firm and be the strongest man in the room. I also believe you need to be prudent because media changes things and things changes how it feels. But I'm saying all this to Dylan as I'm recording this podcast. And the next day I text him and I'm like, I don't think I agreed with what I said last night. I like I don't I don't think I agree with what I said to you. And he goes, Which part? And I was like, Well the the Jack Phillips and 
and using prudence and all the, all that kind of stuff and you know how I was stumbling over my words and I'm trying to explain I'm trying to explain it to Dylan and I'm like I don't actually know what I'm trying to say to you and so I've been thinking about that my comments about Jack Phillips and about the Masterpiece Cake Shop and standing up for what you believe for the, ever since then it's been almost two weeks I started writing this podcast a week ago because I was like this, I have to talk about this and it has me asking the question well when is the proper time to stand up for what you believe. And then how do you do it? And then what if you become like Jack Phillips? What if you become a modern day martyr? Because Jack Phillips has become a modern day martyr. He is being made an example. That's what martyrs are. They're people who are being, they're typically put to death. He's not been put to death, praise God. There are people around the world who are Christian martyrs who are being put to death for their faith, for their beliefs. Jack Phillips is an American martyr. Is He is being made an example of. He hasn't lost his life, but he's lost millions of dollars in legal fees. Everyone in the country has an opinion on him. A lot of Christians have an opinion on him. The Colorado government decided to just wreck his life by these court cases. You got It has me wondering, like, okay, how do you stand for what you believe? And what if standing for what you believe makes you a martyr? What do you do in situations like this? And what can, what, like, and I've been thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. And in case you're wondering, let me give you some background as to the case. You got to remember, this is 2012 that this happened. This is prior to the Supreme Court decision in 2015 that allowed that redefined marriage as between anybody this this, so up until 2015 this was not that far off for what jack phillips had done and now a lot of people would look at him be like oh how bigoted you are and you're like no this there's literally one definition of marriage so here's some background on the case in 2012 a gay couple walks into masterpiece cake shop and asks jack phillips who is a he is a christian he's a practicing christian with deeply held religious beliefs they ask him to make a cake for their wedding and he says no i'm not going to do that I'm not going to make a cake. I am a Christian. I have these convictions. The effort I put into my cakes is a work of worship for me. And so I'm just not going to do that, but I'll, I'll have somebody else make you a cake or I can recommend some people. That's how that goes. And the couple files discrimination charges against Phillips with the Colorado civil rights division. Jack Phillips then appeals that decision and appeals and appeals until it makes it up its way to the Supreme court. And six years later, the Supreme court ruled in favor of Jack Phillips seven to two. So he had not discriminated against this couple. He held fast to his deeply held religious beliefs. He wasn't openly hostile, nothing like that. The, there were two questions that the Supreme court was trying to answer. Does the application of Colorado's public accommodations law compel a cake maker to design and make a cake that violates his sincerely held religious beliefs about same sex marriage? And does it violate the free speech and free exercise clause of the first amendment? So just when court cases go to the Supreme court, they ask questions and then try to answer those questions. That's how they decide the case. And so you have two things happening in this case, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. Okay. Those are rights, but Jack Phillips didn't get in this in this situation because he was concerned about rights. He got there because he was holding fast to what he believed is good, right, and true. And that is a distinction I think that we need to make. There is a there is a vast difference in motive and a, and staying power where you fight for and a, and I would probably say language and strategy. If you're fighting for rights versus what fighting for what is true. And fighting for rights, fighting for what is true. Um, there are 
and then you get convoluted because there are half the half the country thinks that government rights come from government half not even maybe it's like 80 percent think it comes from government and then like 20 percent believe rights come from god and that we're supposed to be protected that all that aside dude this guy jack phillips is there in the supreme court spending millions of dollars because he doesn't want to be forced to use his act of worship for something he does not believe in okay that's what it was and so they rule in favor of him but here here's how i know he's being made an example so he wins this famous supreme court case six years millions of dollars dude is exhausted and 24 hours later he gets a phone call from a lawyer in colorado claiming that he wants to transition from male to female so the lawyer calls and says hey i want to i'm transitioning from male to female i would like for you to make me a cake i think it's pink frosting on the outside blue frosting on the herb or other way around i don't know he calls him and says i want you to make me a cake for my transition right after jack phillips wins this case it he's baiting him he is just trying to get him to end up in another lawsuit and jack phillips very kindly says sir i don't make cakes against that for transitions i'm happy to make any other kind of cake but i'm not for that because of sincerely held religious beliefs in the state of colorado sues him again and it's important to know that it's the state of colorado that has filed these lawsuits so people complain to the colorado commission and then the state of colorado decides i'm going to sue a citizen for discrimination it's not individuals that is really really important and one of the reasons jack phillips won the case in the first place was because of the open hostility from the colorado commission in court towards jack phillips they demeaned him they claimed that he was lying they said that he didn't actually have religious beliefs but that he was homophobic he had all all these things splattered against him so that's a little background on the case and it has and so but he's being made an example of and I'm talking about prudence and fear. And, and then I just kind of had this moment. I was really like, real thinking about this over the last couple of days is if you're going to try to stand for what you believe is true, you're probably going to be made an example of, and you're probably going to have to be some form of martyr. What? And then I'm, I'm so I'm wondering, well, I, I don't want art. I don't want to be a martyr. I don't want the, I don't want things to be continue to get hostile. I want them to, I want peaceable nations. That's what I want. I'm sure you want it too. Nobody wants endless, nobody wants what we're currently having for long. And the answer is like, okay, so then what do you do? How do you, how do you fight? Do you get angry and throw rallies? Do you protest? What, like, what do you do? And especially as a Christian, I'm asking just as a Christian, I don't mean as an American Christian, I mean a conservative Christian, I don't mean progressive, none of that, just Christian follower of Jesus. When do you fight? When do you become a martyr? Do you become a martyr by fighting? What is the proper way to fight? How to st- what do you stand for what is true? I mean, I'm essentially asking the question, how do you fight? And most importantly, what do you fight for? Because you can't fight for everything. You can only fight for what for certain things. And so what the question is, what do you fight for? And these are really tough questions that I think you and I need to start answering because of our cultural moment. In my personal vision statement, I have things about being a man of war. I want to be courageous. I want to be a man of valor. I want to be a man of fortitude who stands firm for the truth and the pursuit of what is good. I have all of that in there, but I'm now facing the question like, okay, I want to be that. What happens when the moment comes? How 
and what remains the question. And you know what I've come up with in the last two weeks? I have no idea how and when to fight properly. So that's why when Dylan asked me about Jack Phillips, six months ago, I would have been like singing his praises. And six months later, when things are a little bit more hostile, I'm like, oh, I'm not so sure. And I'm being cowardly instead of realizing that Jack Phillips, and I'm going to say this publicly, has become an example, not only to uh, secular people of what happens when you stand for the truth, but to Christians who should be willing to stand for what is true for what is everlasting. And I, I, I can't, I'm, I think Jack Phillips is a man to be imitated. And I'm, I'm, I don't want you to confuse him, him, what he's fighting for because he is not fighting for his freedom of speech. He is not fighting for freedom of religion. He's not, that's not his aim. He is a Christian man who makes beautiful, delicious cakes as an act of worship. And he does, he has his, I've seen his cake shop. I grew up in Lakewood, Colorado. It's tiny. There's nothing about it that is like grandiose. It's this tiny little building in front of a strip mall off of Wadsworth Avenue that he has been working there for a long time, making cakes for people on their wedding day to celebrate Christian God-ordained marriage. And a couple comes in and decides to ruin his life. He ain't fighting for freedom of speech. He's fighting for what he believes is true, what is right, and is good. And I'm wondering, okay, what am I, what do we do? How do, how do we learn how to fight like Jack Phillips? How? Because you, I think a lot of people, when, they, when they're thinking about fighting, or they're thinking about standing up for what they believe, almost, I'm wondering if they picture like a rally or large speeches or Instagram reels and worship. I don't even know what really what people imagine because I can't even think of it. But I do know, like, so back in 2021, I had, a, had an event at the church that had several speakers. Each one got to talk for about, you know, nine minutes or so, nine to 10 minutes, a very short talk. And my talk I told people that they needed to start studying Christian history so we can learn how to handle our current historical moment. I thought it was best at the time, and I still believe it, that in order to handle our current social, cultural moment, our current social moment, our current political moment, the best thing that we can do is look to our history and our heritage and ask, how do the people of the past respond to the hostility that was before them? Because there's no part of Christian history where there was not open hostility towards the church of Jesus Christ. There's not, there was always, 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 always hostility towards the church of Jesus Christ because we claim, and you got to think, we claim that we are the, that we are the, the pillar and buttress of the truth because Jesus Christ is the head of the church and he himself claimed to be the way, the truth and the life. And that he set up his church to be a, a a proclaimer of that truth. And I was actually thinking about this earlier. This is just a little side tangent, not fully developed. It says that Jesus is the husband, the church is the bride. And it says in Genesis that the husband needs a helper suitable to him. So the church is the suitable helper that Jesus Christ has chosen to help him accomplish his mission to preach the gospel and to make disciples. That is pretty freaking dope. Sorry, excuse my use of freaking. But anyway, and I, so I picked out the three. I talked, I said there, uh, well, I picked out four because Jack Phillips is one. I think Jack Phillips has been an excellent example of how to fight. He has been quiet. He has gone about his business. He has used the means at his disposal. He has not tried to raise all this money just for himself or make himself a name. He hasn't, he hasn't tried to seize the moment. He has just been like, I just want to make my cakes. And they're choosing to try to make an example of him. And he's doing his best to stay out of the spotlight and not be made an example of. 
So that's one. But then I have three others. And I, I want to actually begin with a guy named Solz, uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He wrote the Gulag Archipelago. I don't think he actually became a Christian until after. Maybe he was in the camp or maybe he was after. He was an Orthodox Christian, I believe, part of the Orthodox Church. But he has this famous quote. And I think this is where you and I have to decide, begin. If we're going to take a stand for what we believe, a lot of times it turns into good versus evil. You and I need to be careful there because of this quote. Here's the quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, because here's the, I'll give you the short part and then the long part. The famous quote is, the line dividing good and evil cuts right through the human heart. Now here's the fullness of the quote. He's, he's writing this in the Gulag Archipelago. It says, in keeping silent about evil, in burying it so deep within us that no sign of it appears on the surface, we are implanting it, and it will rise up a thousandfold in the future. When we neither punish nor reproach evildoers, we are not simply protecting their old age, their trivial old age, and we are thereby ripping the foundations of justice from beneath new generations. So pause real quick. He's, if we're silent about evil, if we see evil and we refuse to say something, we're bearing it deep within us and it's going to ruin future generations. That was, That's what that quote is. So continue on with the fullness of the quote. If only it were so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart. That's the fullness of the quote. The first thing that you and I need to do, if we want to combat evil, if we want to stand up for what's good, right, and true, we need to take an honest look at ourselves and say, how am I contributing to the evil in the world that I wish was not there? We, you and, we all wish we could take, just take those evil Samaritans and just put them over there and God would just get rid of them, then we'd all be peaceable. But the, the line of good and evil splits right between the human heart. Every time I tell a white lie, every time I gossip, every time I do some sort of sin, which is often, it's more often than I like to admit, I'm participating in evil and I have not yet fully realized the weight of what my sin would do to another person, to another person, to another person. Generationally, this plays out when men don't do their job generations ago, it plays out in their grandchildren. So before we even get to like, how are we going to fight for what's good, right, and true? We need to look at our own heart and say, hey, how are we contributing to the evil in the world? We need to take a look at ourselves and we must be willing to check our heart because you know what Jesus said? What comes out of your mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. What comes out of the mouth. So if you know what's coming out of your mouth, you know what evil is in your heart. Uh, I believe that's in Matthew 12 and 15, if you want to go read it. So the first thing that we need to do is examine our own lives, and then we need to work towards becoming a saint, which means doing what Jesus taught is best. That's what me, being a, a saint is somebody who is trying to be like Jesus, and they're doing it really, really well by practice, um, by repentance, by prayer, by repeating and apologizing, by forgiving, doing all the things that Jesus said to do. There's this this well-known Christian philosopher, his name's Dr. Peter Kraft. He's like 85 years old. He works at Boston College. He's been there 60 years. He's gave the best talk on for pro-life that I've ever heard. And he said, if you want to change the culture and if you want to fight for the West, become a saint. There is no other way. That was how he ended his talk. If you want to change the culture, 
if you want to fight for the West, become a saint. There is no other way. And I just thought that is profound. So we start with us, but then the two, the two people I want to look, look at, I want to look at St. Augustine who wrote the book, the city of God. He also wrote the confessions. He wrote a lot. He was a prolific writer. I want to talk about him. And then I want to talk about Justin Martyr. I think these two give us two good examples of what we should do if we're going to fight after we've started to look at ourselves. So Augustine, he wrote this gigantic book. It's well over a thousand pages. It, it, It took him 10 years to write. It's a, it's, kind of like, I think it's like 12 books in one. You know how Harry Potter is one story, but seven books. That's kind of how city of God is. And the city of God is a defense of the Christian faith and of Christians everywhere as Rome was being sacked by barbarians. So Rome is getting sacked by barbarians and the pagans, the non-Christians in Rome start blaming the Christians for the sack of Rome. The basic idea was if Rome, if Constantine had not made Christianity the, the primary religion of Rome in 100 years earlier, if we wouldn't have allowed all these Christians, if we would have just kept on killing all these Christians, if we would have just kept persecuting all these Christians, then Rome, the magnificent city that never ends, would not have fallen to the barbarians. So we must get rid of the Christians. And Augustine steps up to the plate and says, you're wrong. And he absolutely takes the pagan philosophers and politicians and all of them who were coming against the church at the time, he actually absolutely takes them to town and shows that their internal moral corruption led to their own downfall and weakened the very fabric of their culture. And it wasn't actually Christians at all who caused the fall of Rome, at least the fall to be sacked by the barbarians. So he writes this to defend Christians he writes it to defend the faith. He writes it to critique Roman culture, but his most difficult job in the book was probably convincing all of the Christians that just because Rome has fallen does not mean that the church of Jesus Christ is done. There was a belief that because the church had the privileges of being the, a favored religion in Rome, no longer under persecution, that they were now free to spread the gospel and have all the benefits, all the fruit of the kingdom of God, all the fruits of the church, now that that 300, 400 years of persecution was over. And Augustine basically said, no, that's, that's not necessarily the case. The church of Jesus Christ stands on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ and on the faith that he has held down. It doesn't need Rome. We were thankful for Rome, but it doesn't need the Roman Empire. It has fallen, and in, in there will be other empires but just because this has fallen doesn't mean that the church is going to die. And I think that that's a word for Christians today, that just because the West might fall does not mean that the church of Jesus Christ will fall. Christianity is blossoming around the world. America is going to, you know, hell in a handbasket and Christianity is blossoming around the world. And we've got our own stuff but what he did is he used what he had. He had a brilliant intellect. He had a voice. He had authority. He had the ability to write profoundly, and he was a master of logic. And some of you listening to this podcast are brilliant with words. You're very, very smart. You understand history. And your role in fighting is critiquing the culture and defending the faith. Defending the faith. Defend the faith. Defend Christians. Defend other Christians from other denominations. It is like you get one of the toughest things for me is watching Christians um, fight from different denominations and different backgrounds. 
and then claiming that they're not they're not Christians at all. That's really really tough for me. I understand fighting over doctrine and over theology, but that doesn't give you permission to get out of the boat and to turn on your brother like they're an enemy. That's that's it's very different to disagree on doctrine, but say you know what I'm staying in this boat because you're my brother and just separating yourself and calling them evil. I'm like, are you? That is really really difficult for me. And there are some of you who have a brilliant intellect and understanding of history and understanding of logic and an understanding of culture and your ability to critique a culture while defending the faith and trying to unify Christians is what we need right now. That's how you can contribute to fighting. And that can even be in your local area. And then you also need to work very hard if you have that gift at ensuring that every Christian, everybody who calls upon the name of Jesus Christ, that Jesus promised to build his church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So it doesn't matter what nation falls. It doesn't matter what leader falls. It doesn't matter any of that. It'll hurt, but it's hurt before. It's happened before and everything is going to be okay with endurance. So that's, that's from Augustine. Augustine represents a guy who can speak, who can write, who can defend and call people to what is true and to call people, and especially Christians, to what is everlasting. And Augustine didn't lose his life as a martyr, but Justin Martyr did. Uh, the martyrs, they were the ones who were faithful unto death. And Justin Martyr was one of the very first Christians. He was around in AD 132. He converted, he was a pagan convert to Christianity in the year 132 AD. He was one of the earliest Christians, one of the earliest martyrs, and he's a hero of the faith. So he is put on trial, him and some friends. And I'm gonna read part of this. We have a document of the of the trial in the, the conversation that happened between a prefect and named Rusticus. I'll just call him the prefect because Rusticus is hard to say. So it's between Justin and this prefect. Here's, here's the conversation. So it starts by an examination. And this is what it says. In the time of the lawless partisans of idolatry, wicked decrees were passed against the godly Christians in town and country to force them to offer libations to vain idols. And accordingly, the holy men have been apprehended who were brought before the prefect of Rome, Rusticus, by name. So they were told, hey, offer libations, which is offer sacrifices to these idols vain idols. The Christians were like, no, we are not going to do that. We're not going to offer these sacrifices to Jupiter and Zeus. We're not going to do that. And so that because they didn't do that, they brought them before the courts. And the prefect says to Justin, obey the gods at once and submit to the kings. And Justin's reply is this. He says, to obey the commandment of our savior, Jesus Christ is worthy neither of blame nor of condemnation. He's basically saying, look, I don't even deserve to be up here. Just because I didn't worship your gods doesn't mean I deserve to be up here on trial. And Rusticus, the prefect, he pushes him, he pushes him, he pushes him. He says, what kind of doctrines do you profess? And he says, I have endeavored to learn all the doctrines and I've acquiesced that the true doctrines, those are, are the names of, are in the Christian doctrine and they are true. And then he, Rust, the prefect insults him and he says, you utterly wretched man, what are those doctrines? And Justin replies very kindly, since I adhere with, to them with right dogma, here is what you should know about them. And then he goes on to say that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the son of God. He's been preached by the prophets beforehand and that he, has, he is the herald of salvation. He's the teacher of good disciples. And so they keep examining him and, and examining him and examining him. And then they examine his friends. 
and they all say, and I too am a Christian, and I am a Christian, and I worship the God, and I worship God. They just they refuse to bow a knee to at this guy's command that they worship vain idols. Now I'm gonna pause before I go on to the next part. The vain idols of the past are the same vain idols of today. They have to do with sex, they have to do with sexual identity, they have to do with greed and avarice and gluttony, they have to do with all of power, the abuse of power, they have the the sins that they struggled with in the past that captivated the minds of men are the same ones today. And if you refuse to say he, her, or he, him, and he, her, and she is, and they, them, and if you refuse to bow, you can expect people to force you to bow. You will be made an example of. Make the cake, or I'm taking you to court. And Justin... They were in his friends. They refuse to do it because it, they will not worship what other people are telling them to worship because they have chosen to worship the true king. And the, the prefix says he threatens them with death. He says, if you do not offer sacrifice in accord with the gods, you will be punished without mercy. And Justin said, no right thinking person falls away from piety to the true God all the way to impiety. The Rusticus tells him one more time, you better obey or you will be punished without mercy. And Justin's reply is through prayer, we can say be saved on account of our Lord Jesus Christ, even when we have been punished because this has become our salvation and we have this confidence at the more fearful and universal judgment seat of our Lord and Savior. This is what we are Christians and this is what we do and we do not sacrifice to idols. And then they go on and they kill him. Justin is a martyr who refused. He's like, I don't even deserve to be up here. I don't have the mind like Augustine. Augustine was late later, but he was brought before a court. He's like, I'm not going to bow. And he just refused to bow down to the idols. That's all he did. He didn't make a big fuss. He didn't, he refused to bow down and it cost him his life. And he's now become a hero of the faith. You and I, we live in a unique time in history. You can see it on the news, you feel it in the air, you read it in the Twitter sphere. It's kind of like in Lord of the Rings where everyone keeps talking about the rising darkness, yet everybody just wants to hide away and pretend nothing's happening. That's kind of what the time that you and I live in, and, and we need to look to our past and figure out, how are we going to fight? There are some of us who can be like Augustine, we can speak and write and talk, and there's some of us who are just going to be committed to doing good where we are, and there's going to be, all of us are going to be praying, and then a few of us might be brought before governors and emperors to bear witness. That could happen. It still happens around the world. There's the Armenian genocide happening right now. In Africa, they persecute Christians all the time. In Iran, they kill Christians all the time. In China, they kill Christians all the time. The American culture, just expect hostility to increase. Just expect it. And you're not going to be able to fight the way you could have fought a long time ago. The things are just different. And I think there's a time to use your voice. There's a time to speak and defend what is true. And then there's a time to prepare to just bear witness and accept what comes. And by learning from the people of our past, there are plenty of people in the past in Christian history that you can learn from. There are those who were the martyrs. There were those who were like Augustine. There were people like St. Patrick. There were people, um, um, William Wilberforce, who ended slavery, who worked to end slavery. And that is how you're going to learn how to fight. And I do, I said this earlier, I keep hearing people say that churches need to step up, which usually means pastors and preachers are supposed to preach about our times on Sundays in front of crowds. 
And it almost always means to stand up and to defend the city of man. Churches must step up and save America, the America of their imagination, the America that is gone. And you read enough history, there's never been a perfect time in history back there because the human heart is bent towards evil. And I love this country. And while we have it, I want to cherish it and I want it to stand because I think what America has been has been primarily beneficial to the world. And I like freedom of religion. I'm not willing to, to, but I like if it came down to it, I'm choosing the city of God over the city of man. I'm going to learn. I want to practice being a saint so I can fight. The best way to fight the culture, what Peter Kreft said, the best way to fight the culture, the best way to defend what is true, the best way to fight anything is to become a saint. That's the play. All right, today's comment comes from a man named Alec, and it's actually a heartwarming comment for me. I uploaded a video called Five Tips for Improving Your Prayer Life on YouTube. You can go and watch that if you want to grow in your prayer life. And I wanted to share what I learned about being consistent in prayer. That was the goal of this because I had always wanted to be consistent in prayer. I found that it was very difficult or that other things captured my attention. And I finally figured out after many, many years what would work so I would actually pray. And I now, I've now loved to pray. It's one of the most important things. It's, well, it's the most important thing I do in the morning. I don't know. (laughs) I pray. I love to pray. There's fruit in prayer. That's what I'm trying to say. And so I I upload this video and here's the comment from the video. I'm glad this showed up on my page. I've gone from an atheist to a believer and praying still feels a bit off for me, but I've, because I've never done it and I don't know how to do it. I'm just winging my prayers so far and these tips will be a great help. Thank you. Thank you. I love that comment because you, when you make a video like that, you're like, I don't even know if this is going to be beneficial to anybody and you hope that it will be. And Alex or Alec, excuse me. First of all, I want to say welcome to the faith. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. He's proud of you. He's glad to have you home. It says in Luke, when people repent, when they come home to the faith, when they learn that God has made them on purpose, when when he breathed life into them, when people come to realize that and they start to move closer and closer to God, it says that the angels in heaven throw a party knowing that you have come home. God loves you, and I'm thankful that you have come to believe. It'll be the, it's the best decision you have ever made, and I hope that God blesses your life. Prayer is not always going to feel off, Alex, and I'm praying for you, my friend. Thank you for the comment. Listeners, if you would, take 30 seconds to say a prayer for Alec on his new faith journey. All right, in today's gospel, we're coming from Luke chapter 10. In the previous chapter, Jesus had sent out the 12 apostles. In Luke chapter 9, he sends out the 12 apostles to proclaim the kingdom of God. And now in Luke chapter 10, he's sending out the 72 others with a second mission. And this on this one, Jesus is journeying towards Jerusalem. The gospel of Luke is kind of split in half that way, where he's the last half is he is traveling to Jerusalem. And he sends these 72 out to places he is about to go. He sends them ahead of them to where he's about to go. And he tells them to go out. And proclaim, and this is the what he says to them as he's going out. Okay. After this, the Lord appointed seventy-two others, and he sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. 
Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, let it return to you. And if and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Okay. What I really wanted to ho- highlight in this portion of the gospel is when Jesus sends people out, um, he tells them not to take anything. He tells them just to rely on God. And the first step, if you want to, I think, and I, I just learned this early, because it's tempting to think if I'm going to work for the kingdom of God, I should get paid for the kingdom of God instead of, um, you know, doing what you think God has asked you to do and looking to that eternal reward. I, and I do hope people, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not against getting paid for your kingdom work at all. <laughs> I get paid for my kingdom work. I, I believe in it, but there's something to going out on your first mission, going out on your first endeavor and, and doing it because you know that God has asked you to do. And that this is very, very important to the salvation of souls and the future of the, of the earth and, and also and everything. There's something to carrying that weight of knowing I'm not going to get a payment reward because it, it, it forces you to be humble. Later in the gospel, Jesus says, you remember when I sent you out and I told you take no money back? And they're like, yes. And he says, did you lack anything? And the apostles are like, no. And he says, okay, this time take a money bag. You've, you've learned the lesson. Take the money bag. Because it's never really about money, but you want to get paid for your labors. But if you want to go into the kingdom, work, working within the kingdom of God, in whatever capacity you do, if the end goal is to work for money, you're going to have wrong motive and you just won't have the sustaining power that I think you really, really want. Um, that's lesson number one. But the other one is, is something that I think we all need to do is we need to pray for laborers. I was talking about um, up, up top, I was talking about Augustine, men with that kind of mind. Um, and I, I think we need to, I think we need to start praying for those kind of laborers in our world, men with brilliant, men and women with brilliant minds, men, especially, I want to see, I want to see some brilliant, bold, logically sound, historically devoured or historically devoured, historically deep men who love the church of Jesus Christ and are willing to defend it with their lives and with their logic and with their brain and with their understanding and to speak in such a way as to defend the faith. And I I don't even mean apologists. There's plenty of apologists. I mean people who, who have the grace of God on them, who can be like Paul and Augustine and all the other great, great men who have defended the faith using words. And I think that's what we need right now. And so I I'm asking, what I'm asking is I'm asking you to pray that the Lord would raise up laborers for our current time. That's all I have for you today. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or on YouTube. If you want to dive deeper into the Institute of Men, become a subscriber on instituteofmen.org. There you can sign up for my newsletter. You can choose a free or a paid subscription. That is your choice. And then you'll receive exclusive content. Financial support of any kind is very much appreciated so that we can further this work. If you didn't like this content, just pretend you didn't listen. That helps us out too. And until next time, I'm Keaton Tucker, and this is the Institute of Men podcast.